millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and you might think this is a bit grand, talking about pop culture, but what I decided to do this time round is share with you my current stage of my writing career, going through all the books that I've written. Total of 15, although I'll only be talking about 14, you'll understand why in a little bit, but here's the thing, at the time of recording... I've just finished off the manuscript of my 16th book, which will be out towards the end of 2024. So I won't be telling you anything about that. I will do an episode about it. But I don't know if you will find this useful if you're trying to get published yourself. But also, if you like this podcast, I'm going to assume you might enjoy this journey. And with more than a dozen books, it means I can spend a bit of time on each one and you'll find out a little bit behind the scenes. It might even inspire you to reach out and grab a copy of something. Is anybody out there a completionist? Is there anybody apart from me have all of my books? I happen to know there is actually one other person. His name's Gavin. He's a good friend of mine. Hello, Gavin, if you're listening to this. It's Greg, the editor here, jumping in from behind the scenes to say, don't worry, Jim, I've got your back. I do own a copy of each and every one of your books as well. So, the way it all started, I've said this before, I have a degree in archaeology and medieval history. This was all in the 1990s. At that time, social media didn't exist. The internet technically existed in military terms and between universities, but in terms of common usage, not a thing in the 1990s until we get right to the end. So, I was into the early 2000s when... I would sit there with work colleagues. I left university and got a proper job because that's what you have to do. I did find out when I left university, I looked. At that stage, the Guardian newspaper in the UK was a place in the 90s where students would have a look at student-type roles. And I found out in the whole of the UK, I was qualified with my degree to do one job in the whole country. Four years of college plenty of knowledge have earned me this useless degree it paid ten thousand pounds which wasn't a lot of money even back in the 1990s and i had to move to durham it's like no thank you so i got an office job 
and it paid well, and I was good enough at it to get promoted, and so there was an element sitting there where it's like, okay, fine, well, I guess I'm going to keep reading history books and enjoying that. But I'd sit down with work colleagues at lunch times, and I would explain with great enthusiasm the current bit of the book I was reading, and I always remember there were two individuals that turned around and said, Chem, you, you know so much about this stuff, and you're so good at rehashing it, that why don't you actually write a book? I went, that's an interesting idea. Let me let me have a little think about that, shall shall I? And so, shout out to Laura and to David. If you listen to this, you may remember our time working together. You were the ones who inspired me to start doing all of this. Now, prior to that, by my recollection, this is the interesting thing about memory. It's it's hard to put it. And as I go through them, I might not actually get them in quite the right order of publication. Close, but this is the interesting thing. Although you've written them, it doesn't mean that you had the moment that you started writing the book emblazed in your memory. That's just not how memory works. So I'm pretty sure around about the same time, I started sharing history on Facebook. And eventually, at its peak, I had over 90,000 followers on History Gems with a G on Facebook. But about a year ago, I not so much gave up. I'm not turning around saying it's dead, but I would post five times a week. Now I post once every couple of months. And the reason for that is how much Facebook changed over the years. Originally, it was like, I oh, know that's a really interesting story about that part of the Crusades or whatever. Thank you very much, Jem. And then it turned into, ah, I literally, one person posted this under, and I did my best to try and alert the authorities, but literally somebody posted, the only good Muslims are dead Muslim. It's like, that's a hate crime. But the interesting thing is, at that stage, it's like, who, who do you report it to? I'm in Britain, so do I phone the police and like, how do they know it's a crime on Facebook? And what I found was this was clearly wrong, but who do I tell? And it just got worse to the point where I gave up writing anything about American history, because even if I was writing about George Washington, and perhaps I was writing about a battle he was involved in, in the American Revolution, people were literally saying, you didn't mention that he was a slave owner. Well, that's not pertinent to the battle. So either I have to sort of put everything into context and show slavery was, was a thing in America, which is valid, but irrelevant to this particular story, and the vice versa of that is going, why are you putting in something about slavery when clearly this is about a battle happening in 1777 or something like that? So over the years, people were just getting angrier and angrier at history. I couldn't do anything recent. But even when I was going back 500 years, people were still, there were still trolls out there losing their minds that I would have the audacity to write in a positive way about this person. And so I just gave up. It's not worth it. I still talk about these positives and negatives and nuances on this podcast because it's harder for people to just shout at me via a podcast and certainly in the history books because that's how history works. I did a whole episode in 2023 talking about history as a weapon and the basic moral of the story is it's always complicated 
and therefore you have to make it complicated if people are paying for an actual book. So, but the thing was, though, with about 7,000 followers on then Twitter, about 90,000 followers on Facebook, I wrote a book and that social media coverage, and this has become more and more of a thing in publishing, is like, well, who do you go out to? And what was interesting is my very first book, what drives me crazy, and, and pretty much the point of all of my books is, is there a gap in the market? And I am not the guy to do a 400-page book on the life of Elizabeth I, because there are already a dozen books out there that do exactly the same thing. And indeed, I've been told by Amberley, my publisher, main publisher, that I'm good at the grand narrative rather than the granular detail of one person's life. Thank you very much, Amberley. Nobody's good at everything. That's the bit that I find interesting, and that's the bit I can clearly write about. So my first book was The Busy Person's Guide to British History, and the reason why I wrote it was because almost all summaries of British history start in 1066. The first chapter makes reference to the Romans and maybe a bit about the Vikings, and then it immediately moves on to 1066 as if William the Conqueror invented history. He didn't. And so I spend the first quarter of the book talking about stuff before William the Conqueror. And also I spend time talking more about Henry III, who ruled for nearly 50 years, far more than the Tudors, because there are already so many books out there about it. And at that time, I had a five-year-old that knew that Henry VIII had six wives, so really, why am I rehashing that story? It was a book designed to fill in the gaps for people who have a general view of British history. It wasn't revisionist or anything like that. And I went to, and I shopped it out to a number of publishers, you know, I spent a lot of time on it, put some effort into it. And I had this really good conversation with this publisher who said, Jem, these books don't sell. If it's going to be a general view of a country's history, it's got to be linked to a TV show. So this is the book of the show, or you got to be famous, like the George Clooney big book of British history. Although, boy, quite frankly, George Clooney would be writing a book about British history. I don't know. But that's the idea. So you've either got the name or you've got the other media promoting the book. But it on its own doesn't work. But I'd put the effort in. So I self-published it. And lots of people are anti-Amazon, and I get that. But here is the harsh reality. Back in the 1990s, if you wanted to self-publish, it was referred to as vanity publishing. It would probably cost you a thousand pounds, and you get something like 200 books that you then have to sell on your own. And who knows about them? So it was a way for these printers to make a profit. Everything else, no, not so much. But with Amazon, if you can just upload the files, and they can even design a, a standard uninspiring cover if you if you want one, and indeed I went that way on one of my books. But on this occasion, I actually paid for an artist to not only do the cover art, but the start of each chapter have a little cartoon. It was fun. The the drawings, and I had such great time talking to the artist, and we instantly got each other. He absolutely understood what was going on, and indeed he has a self-portrait of a hanged corpse on the back cover. Well done, you. 
That was The Busy Person's Guide to British History, and my very first book, therefore, was self-published. Now, I had somebody who's read a bunch of my books then buy The Busy Person's Guide to British History and loved all my other books. I went, Jem, this is your worst book. And I went, well, yeah, it's my first book. I'm I'm learning the skills. And he replied, going, so why still, still have it out there? I went, because it's if you like, the history, part of the history of me writing books. Now, I'm still proud of it. I, I get that I got better, and it's perhaps a little too flippant, but again, if you, it's called The Busy Person's Guide to British History. If you're looking for like a four-volume, very academic tomes about the British Isles, clearly this isn't the one for you. But I'm proud of it. It got me talking to this publisher, and this publisher turned around and said, look, pick a specific topic. Can you write a book about a specific topic where you would be seen as an expert? I went, yeah, I can. I've always wanted to write a book about the Crusades. And again, like British history, at that time, I didn't think there were any particularly good books on all of the Crusades. A lot of general books about the Crusades talk weirdly only about the first one or talk about the first four, like the other ones don't exist or talk about the Middle East and don't want to talk about the Albigensian Crusade, which is the longest period of crusading in France, the longest crusade on its own in France, but the longest period of crusading with the Northern Crusades in places like Estonia and Latvia. Yeah, I know. I then wrote this book and I went to them and the guy who was so helpful, he said, it's just not quite our thing. Really sorry. But he said, you know, look, here are some other people you might want to talk to. And that led me to Amberley. So I'm, I'm not going to say that original person because while I have huge respect for the, the owner of the company, you know, they gave me time which they earned no money from and I really respect that. Obviously, they turned me down and they're about to turn me down another time in this story. So I just don't want any ill will, but it is interesting that there are some people out there who are willing to help you. Went to Amberley showed them the book. They went, yeah, this is exactly what we're looking for. Let's do it. And then they said to me, but also, Jem, we've just started a series of various elements of history in a hundred facts. And they said, would you like to do the British Empire in a hundred facts? I went, yeah, because I can use parts of the Busy Person's Guide to British History and I can get it to you pretty quickly. Now, the thing about the hundred facts books is they're about 40,000 words. They're a slim volume, but they're meant to be a snapshot. And they're clearly very successful. I really wanted to do the one on the Anglo-Saxons, but somebody else got that one. They offered me Shakespeare. I went, I am not the guy for Shakespeare. So, you know, it went bounced around, but I believe by writing four of them, I wrote more in the series than anybody else. And I can't begrudge not getting the Anglo-Saxons when I got to do the other ones. What was weird, though, is that Amberley decided to launch the British Empire in 100 Facts the same week as Deus Vault. And I said, well, I'm, I'm ready to sort of like promote Deus Vault and blah, 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 and I'll do the 100 Facts in, in a month or so through all of my media channels. And they went, what, what, why are you doing that, Jem? Can you not promote both? It's like, okay, but people might only have enough money for one, and I'd rather they bought both of them over a period of time rather than one of them and forget about the other one. So anyway... The thing is, with Deus Vault, it's still selling. And this is the thing I hadn't quite realised, and, and what I find fascinating, because books are, on the one hand, a piece of art, a piece of literature, and on the other hand, they're a commodity. They're like a bottle of Coke. And so, 
Ultimately, what any publisher wants is to shift as many copies as possible. You do not pay VAT on books. You don't pay tax on books in the UK because they are considered a piece of art. However, how much art is involved in some of these books that come out at Christmas time, that's anybody's guess. But anyway, the point here is that I would have liked to have sold as many copies as possible. Deus Vault still sells because a story about the Crusades is still as relevant. None of it's gone out of date, by the way. There's been no new discoveries that have changed things. And that's one of the appeals of history books. And with the British Empire, clearly it sold well enough that I ended up being approached by Amberley saying, we've been approached by a larger publisher that wants several books basically ready to go for the Indian market. So we'd like to repackage the British Empire in 100 Facts. It's still called the same thing, still in English, for the Indian market. But they did say, however, one of your facts, which was about the the fighting between the British and the Indians in the 1850s, when I was pointing out, hey, it's more complicated than that. They said, you, you can't have that one. It's just too controversial. The, the publishers aren't interested in that fact. Have you got another one? So I pulled a fact from Forgotten History, which is a book coming up in a minute. And it was about the Great Hedge of India. True story. The British invented a massive hedge, which was meant to be a tax barrier in India, that was a thing in the 1800s. So the British look ridiculous. The Indians look smart. It's a real piece of history. It kept everybody happy. I flipped those two different facts. Now, you might turn around and say, Jem, where's your integrity? It allowed me to access a much larger market. It allowed me to have a brief relationship with a much larger publisher. Why not? Why not to do these things? This is the thing about artistic integrity. It doesn't really pay the bills. So... After a total of three history books, I thought, you know what, I'm going to have a crack at a historical novel. And I created, and this this actually came from something that I did a, a throwaway thing on the Facebook page, where very early on, as a thank you to various people who'd been following and interacting in a nice way on the Facebook page, once a year, and I, I plastered up everywhere, this is a fake, this is made up, or whatever words to that effect, and I would then create a bit of history around these people. Invariably, they were either tyrants or they died horribly through poisoning, and the people who liked the page really enjoyed those things. And I did this one, the slightly flippant one, about he's the only British soldier who fought in both world wars for both sides, and then sort of wrote a little bit underneath it. And one person wrote underneath it, that would be a really good idea for a novel. And that was just just stated in the back of my head for about two years. And then I eventually wrote Silent Crossroads. Now, what's interesting is you've got a writer who's already been published. For all of my books, I use the same publishing editor and she's absolutely great. But the point is she's done the legit published ones, but she's also done the Busy Person Guide to British History, which was self-published. And the, the thing about self-publishing is it's a bit of the Wild West out there. There is some great stuff out there. There's some stuff that's being turned into movies. The Martian, you know, that movie with Matt Damon, that was originally a self-published book. So were the Fifty Shades of Grey books. We can talk about quality, but, you know, that's quite a lot of power coming from the self-publishing sector. But also there's people who just bash up the latest thing that they've written. It's 27 pages. You can only get it on Kindle. It's riddled with 
spelling mistakes. Trying to check the copy of your own work is notoriously difficult because you know what you're trying to say. So your eyeballs just skip past missing ands and thes and commas and etc. You really should. If anybody's thinking about writing a book, pay for an editor. And in the case of Silent Crossroads, I have this bit in a Prisoner of War camp in World War One. And originally it was about a thousand words. And she threw it back at me. And she goes, I don't believe the journey. It's too quick, Jeb. So I fleshed it out and she went, still don't believe it. And in the end, she kicked it back to me about four times. And it went from a thousand words to over 10,000 words. And she did kick it back again and went, no, I'm now happy with it. You know, what you said is valid. You need to keep reading because you'll see where this is going. After which she goes, yeah, you, you got it to the right place and it allows the story to continue. This is the thing. You get to have a two-way conversation. If people think that J.K. Rowling or Stephen King is just locked up in a room, writes this thing, and then everybody just hits print as soon as the document comes over, that's not the way publishing works. Before a book has ever seen the light of day, probably four or five people have dived into the text and mucked around with it. So I went back to Ambly with Silent Crossroads. I was incredibly proud of it. And they went, Jem, this is great, but we do non-fiction publishing. This is fiction. That is a different market. It's just not our market. Can't help you. Sorry. So I went back to that original guy and he said exactly the same thing. He said, look, it is a good read. Off you go. And then this led to me because the day job, and I still kind of have the day job, although I'm now a sales trainer. I used to be a salesperson. You can't be a sales trainer unless you've actually done selling yourself. But it does mean that you know some of the techniques to get access to meetings. There's no black magic to sales, but being a bit persistent and polite and also believing in your own product, these are important things that you've got to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean that writers have those three skill sets, but it allowed me to actually sit in front of a publishing agent, a writing agent, a literary agent. They've got slightly different names depending on which country. But the point is, they're like your agent, your representation that gets you to these big publishers. Things like Random House and Penguin, you know, all the names you've actually heard of. They will not see you if you do not have representation. Otherwise, they'd be just flooded with people. And I remember sitting in opposite this woman and she said after she'd read it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Gem, you can write. I've told this story before. Great, that's good. Obviously, I want quality product. And she goes, and this is a commercial idea. Excellent. I'd like to sell more than 10 copies. Thank you very much. But she then said, but I'm just not in love with it enough. And that was a problem because I wasn't asking her to marry her. I was just asking her to represent me and perhaps get this book out. And seeing I already completed other books, clearly it was enough for Amberley to say, keep going so I can hit a target. And clearly I can sell enough for them to want to work with me again. But that wasn't good enough for the agent. So the problem with the London Book Fair is that there are a thousand plus books there being promoted and nobody's going to read all of them. Okay, maybe you like stripping down a Honda Civic engine, you buy the Haynes Manual, or maybe you love historical romance, or maybe you want to read the autobiography of Sir Alex Ferguson. These are all real books and genres. And look, if you're going to turn around and say, Jem, I'm the one person who reads all three of those types of books, good for you, but recognize your very small market. Nobody's going to read all of those books, but also nobody has time to read all of those books. So some win, some fail, and because of that, these literary agents, ever since the invention of the word processor and email, getting books out is so much easier than it was, let's say, 50 years ago. Well, you know, 200 years ago, didn't have typewriters. You'd literally have to write out every single word, and then you'd have to post it somewhere. So very few people wrote books. Then we got the typewriter. That was an evolution. But still, you had to type it all out and change and edit things and and so that was a larger group but still not as big as today where you just hit send on a word document and so these literary agents they don't know what the next hot thing's going to be they've already got a client list that's too long and so they're thinking about reasons to say no to you rather than say yes to you and so i went on a very long journey with silent crossroads and i went i'm going to self-publish again everybody who's read it has given it five stars and said it's really good but you just have to accept it's not going to sell as well as something actually in Waterstones. Oh, well, never mind. You still have to be proud of what you actually do. And that was the first, and I, this is why I'm going to skim past this one. It also became an audiobook. So I did a whole episode and the audiobook came out in 2023, read by Greg Chapman, the editor of this podcast. Oh my God, it's a dream. So I've already covered the story of that. Then we move on to, and this is an interesting example, and again, I've done a whole episode of this around Napoleon. I did Napoleonic Wars and 100 Facts. So what was interesting is it was coming up to 2015, which was going to be the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. So originally they said, hey, do you want to do a 100 Facts book on the Battle of Waterloo? And I went, unless you want Fact 54 to be about belt buckles, no. But let's do the Napoleonic Wars, because let's face it, again... This is an area where you can buy a 400-page book just on the Battle of Waterloo, and it's an intimidatingly dense 25-year period of history that covers three continents, multiple empires. Where do we start? And that's the point of the 100 Facts books. 
If you want an overview, a sketch of why Napoleon was such a big deal and what was going on in all this fighting, that's what worked for them. But I had to get it out before the summer of 2015 because they needed to get it out because it was created this thing. Although it happened 200 years ago, it was in the news again. So they were hoping to sell a few copies. Then I did, going back to the Facebook page, I said I posted really interesting stuff and that really interesting stuff got turned into forgotten history. So it's a collection of nearly 200. Each fact is like a page, two pages, no more than that. And the only thing in common with them is I slowly go through historical eras. So the Stone Age stuff is at the beginning of the book. The 20th century stuff is at the back of the book. But it could be about the Aztecs. It could be about a female warrior that you've never heard of before and so on and so forth and that was pretty easy to put together because i'd already done the research and i'd already done the writing but of course facebook you're not properly editing it so it was about making the facts a bit bulkier better written and again the editor got at them and made them good so that's forgotten history so if you want just fun stuff and indeed forgotten history is a classic example of, if you like this podcast, you'll like Forgotten History. I had a couple of people say to me on social media going, please don't take offence, Jem, but I love reading this book while I'm sitting on the toilet. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's that kind of read. I, I, I take no umbrage to it whatsoever. I know some people get offended. How could you possibly read my book on the toilet? It's like, hey, they bought your book. Take the win. And I've also seen people get angry. It's like, oh, look, there's my book being sold in a secondhand bookshop. I don't earn any money from it. It's like, no, I'm happy about that because it means more people get to hear about me. And if they like that book, do you know what? They might go out and buy another one. So I, haven't, I don't think there's such a thing as bad publicity, although we will be coming on to a bit of suspicious activity and publicity in a minute. Then I got the bug for novels and so i wrote and god watched and again i tried pushing this out to a few places nobody was having it and god watched is something i'm again incredibly proud of because it's talking about the tail end of the crusading movement in the middle east if you're thinking that the hero is a christian knight in shining armor battling the infidels no the central character is actually a venetian woman and so she is a trader. She wants peace, not war. Cynically, because she wants to make money. You make money through trading when times are settled. So she's got her own rather than altruistic motives behind it. But also as a woman in medieval society, she can look on the sidelines and look at the stupidity of these arrogant men on both sides. And this is the thing about And God Watched. This is a time when both sides were 100% convinced that God was on their side, where logically God couldn't be on both sides at the same time. The other thing is that with Silent Crossroads is there isn't a specific bad guy. There isn't a villain. If you like, fate, time, geography, politics are the, the things that are holding Harry back. But in this one, I decided to really go for it and have not one, but two villains. One is a really boo-hissable villain who is a papal legate, so they are in the church and they carry out a kind of inquisition at one point, so you get to see 
the darkest parts of the medieval church so nice and hissable but he's one of these people where he doesn't think what he's doing is bad what he thinks he's doing is a necessary evil because that's how the medieval church worked and the other person is a muslim ruler but he is more subtle he may be the threat he may have the army but he is a three-dimensional character and so angod watch shows things from both sides and centers around some bits of history that have got nothing to do with the first crusade and the knights templar in there in a realistic manner so i'm really proud of that one it's just very different to the usual kind of things that are written about the crusades and there we go then do you remember the time restrictions on the napoleonic wars and 100 facts i did the americans in 100 facts the american presidents i should say in 100 facts and that was my last 100 facts book no it wasn't because i forgot just before forgotten history i was asked to do another 100 facts book which was the romans in 100 facts so there we go you all know about the roman empire and if you get if you want an overview where i start you know pre-julius caesar i start with the founding of rome around about 700 bc and then the last fact is well, when exactly did the roman empire end so it really does cover several thousand years of history from the perspective of the romans then we're coming up to 2016 there is an election coming up in america and so again the time was hot can you do the american presidents and 100 facts i did however the last one fact 100 was about donald trump and hillary clinton and yeah, i had to make a guess so if you want to find out if that's a 100 percent accurate book or not you're gonna to have to buy it and find out but i was really pleased and it was really interesting knowing the heat in facebook i could start hearing people kind of breathing down my neck once i got to eisenhower which is just about within living memory after that i just felt like oh people are gonna hate it when i show that things are more complicated because i say positive things about some presidents that you might revile and i say negative things about other presidents you might think were absolutely awesome because they're human and they didn't always get it right so yeah i did my best to be even-handed with american presidents so i hope you can hear how proud i am in my voice because that is not a thing that generally happens so then gonna do another historical novel which i said to myself this is gonna be my last okay why pour out your heart and soul into a novel which might sell a hundred copies in total and this is the thing about all this stuff it doesn't pay very well i can earn more money in a year writing articles for various historical magazines than i might earn from any one book in any one year quite frankly in terms of time i'd earn more money if i was a part-time barman but that's not the point i'm not doing this for the money i've got a day job for that i'm doing it because i'm trying to share things with people perhaps explain things that you haven't previously heard or an opportunity to say this is the way i've always seen this situation please come with me on a journey and so this historical novel was called echoes and i was sort of writing it because we were coming up to the 50th anniversary of the tet offensive in vietnam so that was 2018 that's when i started writing it came out in 2019 and the thing about it was that i'd actually interviewed a number of veterans my uncle served in vietnam but other people as well about the vietnam war i was thinking about writing an oral history of the vietnam war 
and it just didn't work. So in the end, I decided to write it as a novel, and I was inspired by some other things that I'd witnessed in my life as well. And so I decided to have it, and this is the first time I'd done a book like this, that we have this guy, Tom, in... 1968. He is a teenager in Vietnam, in the jungles, and we see what it was like in the Vietnam War. Now, Tom himself, Tom Moretti, is completely made up. However, a number of things that happened to him happened to people for real, because I pulled out the notes from these interviews and overlaid it onto him. So, I've had actually a couple of veterans saying it's not 100% accurate, so I've clearly made a couple of historical errors, apologies for that, but, but minor stuff, and even the veterans are giving me like four out of five stars, saying it's an important book, thank you very much. So you get Tom then, and you get Tom now. And just to sort of like let you into a little secret, in the opening scene, Tom's in the jungle, the guy in front of him is ambushed by a member of the Viet Cong. He fires his AK-47, you know, this entire clip of ammo into this guy's chest, and Tom runs over to this guy, expecting him to just be riddled with bullets, but rolls him over and he groans. And every single bullet either missed him, hit his M16, or hit the two belts of ammunition that were across his chest, which had acted as basically armor plating. That's a real story. So we start off with a bit of reality, but also while he's in the jungle, he's thinking about this girl he's met and wondering what's going on with her. And then after this scene, we cut to him today and he is mourning the loss of his wife who's just died of cancer. And it's the same woman. So we never actually meet her. And so what happens is Tom, because of all the, all the things that are going on in his life today, decides to go back to Vietnam and if you like, put his demons to rest. But for various reasons, he has to bring along his granddaughter, who is a woman in her early 20s. And this is the thing. Your grandparents are cute and cuddly and you love them to bits. Do you really want to know if your grandfather's killed somebody when they were a young man? Do you really want to know their views on sex and politics and race etc and so it's a bit of a culture clash it's also the fact that tom is doing his best to try and help and educate the next generation or two generations down actually but of course the next generation always has to do it themselves so it's a generational thing it's a war thing it's about family relationships so i'm really proud of that book it's got really good reviews again even from people who were there and therefore i was really proud as that would be my my last one so then we move on to perhaps one of my most personal books, The Sultans, which is about the Ottoman Empire. And it's the history of the Ottoman Empire, and it started in 1300, and it finished in the 1920s. So this book, in a way, is a sequel to Deus Vult, my book about the Crusades, because the last chapter of the Crusades book talks about how there were later Crusades waged against the early Ottoman Empire, and that's how I start the Sultan's book. So this is overlap. This, this is a civilization that was at the time of the Crusades and yet finished at the time of radio and cinema. This is a civilization that was undone by World War I in the 20th century. Remarkable. Both my Turkish grandparents were born Ottoman subjects. So this is a way to, in English, write the entire history 
the Ottoman Empire is incredibly biased. If you get one from a Turkish perspective, they're always the bestiest best of all time. If you get it from an English perspective, it's kind of exotic, and it's that Orientalism that's going on, which is not a good thing. And if you get it from other peoples in the Middle East or in the Caucasus or something like that, the Ottoman Empire is akin to the Nazis. Again, it's more complicated than any three of those things, and I try and split the difference with it. I'm, again, very proud of that book. And if you like that's like Deus Vult, it's a proper history book. It's on one topic, and we go all the way through on that specific topic. And then I started writing another book. It was going to be more like Forgotten Histories. It was a collection of the Facebook posts. Amberley Publishing was saying to me, Jem whatever you do, don't call it Forgotten History 2, because that means some people think they have to have read Forgotten History 1, so we'll give it a completely different name. Okay, fine. But then COVID happened. So that book got pushed down the line, and I'm sitting there watching COVID happen. And I thought to myself, I've written these historical novels, and I said I wasn't going to write another one, but this is the most important part of history that I've lived through. Some people are going to turn around and say, God, but Jem, what about the internet? Yeah, but that wasn't a day. That wasn't a moment. That was a gradual evolution of technology. And people say, what about the fall of the, the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union? Yes, that's also super important. But it didn't really affect me. The fall of the collapse of the Soviet Union cha changed politics and it changed the lives of everybody in the Soviet Union. But for everybody in the West... If anything, everything just got easier. For if you were living in Angola, it changed nothing, really. So I'm going to say COVID, biggest changer in my lifetime. And I just knew that people were going to start writing books about it. So I wrote one. But rather than just simply write, this is what happened during COVID, I thought, well, the other thing I was thinking is, could I do a history book on this? It's like, well, no, the history is actually happening right now. And you do need time to let it all sink in. And then it occurred to me that a hundred years earlier you'd had Spanish flu, so-called Spanish flu. And whereas the similarities are skin deep, if I was to do a history book comparing the two, the criticism would be quite rightly going, it's, it is more complicated than that, Gem. But from the point of view of a novel, that would work quite well. And so it's the story of two nurses and they are related to each other, one during COVID and one during Spanish flu. And there are these sort of weird parallels. There is a racist president on both occasions in the White House. There is violence against people of color. It was worse in the 1920s, for the record. There's an argument about mask wearing on both occasions, even though both are clearly respiratory illnesses. And yeah, it just goes on and on. The people's lives were destroyed, their finances, etc. All these things wrapped around it. Really interesting. And again, by the time I finished it, and then January 6th happened, it's like, okay, well, that's got to go in there as well. But I decided not to linger on that because I wanted it to end on a message of hope and not a message of disaster. But I looked at it and thought to myself, okay, this was a book I was never expecting to write. In a way, I don't want to write it because I didn't want any of this stuff to happen. But I'm really proud of it. it I then self-published it and it did terribly because it was too soon. Nobody wanted to read about COVID. However, 
if you can't quite remember the chain of events, and also, if you want to know, well, you will know what happened in your country, but it does talk about events in Japan, and in Italy, and so on and so forth, so it's a, it's a reminder of what happened, but also it's a chance for you to see, well, how did the world deal with the last global pandemic? Did, have we learned anything? Did we do better this time round? You need to make that judgment for yourself. It is called Edge of Life. Reason for the name, by the way, is because it felt like we were all living on the edges of our lives, but a virus is an example where biologists say it's on the edge of what life could be considered. So that came out, and then at the end of the year, that compilation of just weird and wonderful facts came out as well. This is all 2021, and it's called Slinkies and Snake Bombs. So it didn't get the Forgotten History 2, but again, if you like this idea of, oh, just every page is a different story, it's weird and wonderful facts, there's literally a history of slinkies in there, and also snake bombs were something that was used in the ancient world. And then we come to Hollywood and History, which comes out in 2023. Again, I've done a whole episode on it as well. And Hollywood and History is something that is sort of still echoing down. I don't know how well it's going to sell, but it's allowed a couple of pieces of, of work to be out there, some articles and news and TV and stuff like that, Hollywood and history. And so I'm really proud of it. And it tied in quite nicely with the Napoleon movie as well, even though it came out just before. So that's where we're up to. And like I say, literally putting the finishing touches to my next one. And I'm also currently in discussions with a different publishing company about another book. We'll see if that actually happens or not. The one that I didn't talk about is I have ghost written a book, so I can't really tell you about that one, but I'm proud of that one too. But here's the irony. Why do people ghostwrite? I made more money on that book than any other book I've ever written. So you don't get to know my name, but I get to sort of take the money home. But again, it's not that much compared to the day job. So with that in mind, I hope you found this interesting and maybe it's helped you explore things a little bit in terms of publishing. Let me know if you've read any of the books or if there's one that you're planning to grab. Always love to hear that. If you've got any questions about publishing, happy to help. Although I can't really put you in front of any publishers because you know, I've got limited sway myself. That's it from me. And as always, another episode coming soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.